And I'm coming back home to you And I'm coming back home to you I'm coming back home I'm coming back home to you I'm coming back home I'm coming back home Hey, glad you're with us this weekend. I uh, have a great message on Israel that I want to share with you, but I want to begin uh, with a thought on the benefit of experience. Uh, when you think about experience, the way that you get it is to go through something, and the benefit of experience should be, not always is, but should be, that you learn how to do something well or what doesn't work well. And I want to talk to you about something that I know from experience worked really well for us uh, as parents, we had five kids. Now all of my kids are grown. They're adults. Um, that second part of their life from childhood to adulthood is taking place uh, now. So this is from experience that I talk about. Uh, our firstborn, Amy, co-pastor of our Lone Tree campus, um, we, um, we had this really unique thing happen. And as I share this, it'll be a real benefit to younger parents, those who want to be parents, uh, and it'll probably be relatable to those of you who have already um, raised your kids like I have or are close to finishing um, that process, although I'm not sure if you ever quite really finish. Um, it, it's the principle of a first fruit. A first fruit in the Bible was an offering, and what makes a first fruit different than any other kind of offering, it's when you do it for the very first time. So, uh, uh, for instance, um, if you have children, you have more than one, or with the first, the first time that you dedicate something to the Lord, that's a first fruit. When you wake up and it's a brand new day, in the first action of the day, giving it to the Lord, that's a first fruit. When you get paid, the first action, when you give it back to the Lord, instead of to anything else, you're giving a first fruit. We give a first fruit regardless, but it's not always given to God. And so what I'm trying to share with you is the idea and the principle of a first fruit because when you give a first fruit there's a special blessing a significant blessing uh, the idea would simply be this here's the principle that when you give to God the first part everything that comes after it is blessed it's holy it's sanctified it's set apart for the Lord so the principle with our child was this as the first one I was a pretty new believer not that long uh, into my um, walk with Christ 
Chris uh, had come from a foundation since the time she was little. She knew the Lord. But together, as husband and wife, we have Amy. And our first decision with our first child was to dedicate her to the Lord. The principle was simply that the first part belongs to God. And we wanted her to be raised in the understanding and the fear. You know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what we wanted with her. Now, the benefit of that, the experience, the, the, the thing that we've come to see is that um, as we made that decision, as we raised her in that place as the first one, and by the way, this is not a formula, it's a principle. People will hear what I'm saying right now and try to reduce it to a formula, like, okay, if I just do the things that Pastor John did, I'll get the same results. That's formulaic. God is not a formula. God is a relationship. He is God. He loves us, and he works with principles, not formulas. So the principle to this simply is when we dedicate that first thing to the Lord, everything that comes after is holy, it's blessed, it's, it's sanctified. And that was the principle with the firstborn Amy. As we raised her in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, knowing the Lord and loving the Lord and serving the Lord, every one of the siblings that came after her could see the way she walked, and they ended up walking in that same way. Now, I realize it doesn't always happen that way because it's not a formula, it's a relationship. The principle's true. When the first thing is given, everything that comes after it is holy. It's just a principle. If we get what God is saying, the first part given to him, everything that comes after it then is holy. It's a, it's a, a tremendous principle. Uh, it works the other way. As a kid, uh, I, I didn't know Christ. And so I did the things that the world did. But I was the firstborn in my family. And guess what? My brothers looked at me as a model, and easily followed in my footsteps doing the things of the world. But when I became a believer, I was an instrumental part in my next brother, the next in line after me, having a relationship with Christ in a, in a profound way. That first fruit is just such a powerful thought. Now, the reason I even bring this up is I'm going to talk about the nation of Israel. Israel is a first fruit. God did something with Israel first, and everything that comes after it in line is blessed, and that's us, the church. And if we get that, man, we can participate in such a powerful principle. I'm going to go from uh, the book of Romans tonight, chapter 11. I've got six verses that I'm going to read to you real quick. And then if you've got a pen or a pencil, you might want to get it out right now because you'll need it for the fill in the blanks. If you want to use the uh, online U version of the notes, that's great too. And if you learn best by just remembering... Hey, I don't know how you do that, but God bless you, whatever works best for you. So this is Romans chapter 11, starting at verse 11, and we'll go all the way to verse uh, 16. All right, context. Paul is writing this to a Roman church, so it's a church full of Gentiles, not Jewish believers. And the significance of that is that he's simply addressing them about Jewish believers, about the nation of Israel, actually, not even Jewish believers, but the whole nation of Israel in particular. And this is what he says to this church. Uh, again, I ask you, did the Jews stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? So we know that they've rejected Christ, but what Paul is saying is, have they stumbled so far that they're beyond recovery of God? That's always the good news that all that God has for us is recovery and discovery, man. As long as you're breathing, it's not too late. And then he just emphatically says this, not at all they haven't gone too far. Rather, because of their transgression or their rejection of Jesus, salvation has come to the Gentiles. By the way, if you don't know what the term Gentile means, it means those without God. Those without God. So 
the Jews were chosen through Jesus first. We get to come in through God's offering to the Jewish people. So salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious, to provoke them, to make them look at what they could have. But if their transgression means riches for the world, if their rejection of Christ means riches because we get to have Christ, uh, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles in particular, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? In other words, once the Jews are included back in the church into the body of Christ, uh, universal, man, the blessing that's going to come on the church, is, it's, we're, we're only tasting a part of what God has for you. He goes on a little bit further. I'm talking to you Gentiles in as much as I am the apostle to Gentiles. In other words, my ministry specifically is not to the Jews, but to those who are outside of the Jewish faith. I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people, remember because he's Jewish, to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as, what's that word? First fruits, remember, the first of its kind. If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. So if the first thing is given to the Lord, everything else that follows behind it is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches then also holy. If some of the branches have been broken off, those were the Jews. And you, Gentiles, though a wild olive shoot have been grafted in amongst the others you now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. So if you just look at this scripture, man, the mystery in it, the principle in it simply is, it's the mystery of the first fruit, something that is first given to God. Everything else that comes after it follows in the blessing of the first fruit. All right, so if you've got your pen or your pencil, let me give you three things that I want you to see in the scripture that we'll talk about real quick. The first one simply is this. So goes Israel, so goes the church. So goes Israel, so goes the church. All right, let me give you some direct correlation. Uh, so the Bible just showed us that we are not the nourishing uh, root ourselves. We've been grafted into it, and we get our nourishment from the root. All right, the root ultimately is Jesus, but it comes through the Jewish people. And we're grafted into that wonderful family, that wonderful history, and that plan and purpose of God. And so there's a direct connection. When the Jewish people do well as a nation, then we enjoy the nourishment of that root. So we would do, the church would do well. And if they get choked off and there's no flow, there's no nourishment, then we would suffer. So let me just give you a couple of things uh, in particular. I'll talk about a connection between Israel being blessed and the church being blessed. And then I'll talk about Israel being choked uh, and the U.S. experiencing trouble because we caused some of the choking. The first one, uh, 1948. Some of you would know historically, 48 was when Israel became a nation. So they're a relatively, while an ancient nation, they're a also new nation. A, a prophecy that was given thousands of years ago was that at some point the Jewish people would be brought back together and in one day a nation would form. And that's what happened in May of 1948. The Jewish people suddenly came back in a, in a miraculous way to be a nation. An improbable way. If I had time to teach on that, the story in and of that is just incredible. But they became a nation literally in a day. In late 1948, the church experienced for the first time in decades 
a healing revival that swept through the world. People like Oral Roberts, Amy Simple McPherson, some of the evangelists and people to whom we owe so much brought in a movement, a fresh movement of the Spirit of God that included healing in the church. Kenneth Hagin Sr. at that time was a person who in the late 40s and through the 50s and into the 60s was such a powerful presence for the healing of God brought back to the church. And I don't think it's coincidental to connect the idea that in one day Israel is healed, not spiritually, but healed as a nation, and then all of a sudden we experience healing in the church. A phenomenal thought and idea. How about this one in 67? Some of you will remember the Six-Day War, 1967 the Six-Day War in Israel. Uh, literally a battle, uh, most of the battles in the Middle East, uh, particularly with Israel, they're very fierce battles. They blow up really big, really quick, but they don't last that long. So they called it the Six-Day War because it was literally a Six-Day War. All the nations of that time surrounding Israel, Arab nations had turned against Israel. Uh, true true to, to any study of history, uh, the Jews were outnumbered uh, 10 to 1. There was no reason that they should have won that war, but in, a, a, in my mind, the hand of God caused them to have a great triumph in 1967. At that same time in the church, those of you who are old enough to remember, the Jesus People movement broke out. A bunch of hippies on the West Coast and the East Coast came to Christ, and their experience was a phenomenal change in the church. The vineyard movement. Great movements today that, that we see in different places. That, that, uh, that, that God at that time, Israel has this great victory where it's just boom. And then all of a sudden we'll see a correlation of something happening in the church. It literally uh, brought a revival to the church in the late 60s heading into the 70s. And then in 1973, there was the Yom Kippur War. Yom Kippur, uh, literally the most holy day in all of Israel. Uh, that day when they were actually at the synagogue, the Arab nations had plans surrounding them again. Let's get them right now when their defenses are down. Again, outnumbered, outmanned, and unprepared. They're attacked. And in a miraculous show, an unbelievable wow of God, Israel wins that battle right there. Correlation for us, for those of you who might, um, who might be able to remember this, uh, but I guarantee you, if you're a believer now, you enjoy what happened in the, um, in the early 70s and all the way up through um, the late 90s, there was the great charismatic renew renewal that happened in the Catholic Church, happened in mainline denominations, happened in spirit-filled denominations, places that in, for so long um, had just been trying to do the right thing but not just seeing the power of God. And suddenly, boom, here it was. A correlation again. This great thing happens for the nation of Israel and the church enjoys. We, we get our nourishment from that root. All right, so that same idea, flip the coin. If that nourishment is cut off, does it affect us? All right, the year 2000. Uh, just a quick jog your memory and think about this. Who was president uh, in 2000? All right, partially, Clinton was still president during that time. And um, Clinton had the Camp David Accords and if you uh, can remember anything about that, there was a picture on the cover of uh, like Time and Newsweek. It was on most of the front papers. But I had a picture of Yasser Arafat, the chairman of the PLO, shaking hands with Ehud Barak, 
the premier of Israel, and in the background was uh, Clinton, who presided over it. And here's what the Camp David Accord was about. It was designed completely to put pressure from the U.S. onto Israel for them to give up land for peace, something that God has told them they cannot, should not do. And as we force that issue, being such a major support and really their only ally, as we force that issue to happen for them, I want to ask you this question. Again, we share in the nourishment of the root, that we get the flow from it. So if it's, if it's good, then we get the good. But if it's choked off, it affects us. In the U.S., the U.S. pressured Israel to give up that land. Think about this fact real quick. From the year 2000 to the year 2017, man, what's gone wrong in our country? What happened in 2001? Think about from 2001. Think of the wars. We have had a continual war that we have fought in different nations since that time forward. Since 2000 to 2017, our presidency has changed hands multiple times, Democrat and Republicans. And here's just simply my thought. Are we better off today than we were 17 years ago? And I don't think anybody would say that we are. You can look around our country and see that there's just the division today, the lack today, the way that our government has gone and, and just, just how things are. Gosh, when you, when you look at it from the point of view of this happened in 2000 and where we are in 2017 and all the things that have taken place, how did that happen to us? Most of us just live in the space of, I'm just surviving today. We never think cause and effect, but there's a cause and effect here. And it may well be that our choking of Israel resulted in a choking in the U.S., that the very thing that we took from them, uh, that, that we, we, we forced them to, to give up land, has caused us a crisis in our own land. Just think about that. Uh, it's, you're free to disagree with me, but I say, man, if that scripture in Romans is, is accurate to the way that I'm interpreting it, that we, we enjoy the, the flow from, from the root. So if it's, if it's flowing, then we get the benefit. But if it's choked off, we're the recipient of that. Then just think about the connection, the correlation between the two. So goes Israel, so goes the church. The second one simply is this. Let me talk about the mystery of first fruits a little further. The mystery of uh, first fruits. So I want to show you two scriptures, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, that talk about this uh, principle. Now remember, not formula, principle of first fruits. The first one is uh, Jeremiah. Let's check this out real quick. Uh, Israel was holy to the Lord. So context is talking about the nation of Israel. Israel was holy to the Lord. The, what's the word? First fruits of his harvest. So the very first thing that God did in the earth is that he chose this nation to bring salvation through. So Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruit of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. And I just point out again what I just said. Man, when you persecute this nation, when you harm this nation, there, there's a guilt, there's a judgment that comes against us. And from if you just think the last 17 years in our country, when you ask sort of why is this happening, maybe the connection to what we've done in Israel. How about this, though? This is really where um, there, there's a mystery that, uh, that, that is found in the Bible. I don't fully understand this. Paul even says he doesn't fully understand this, but he teaches it nonetheless, and I want you to see it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, these two verses, he's talking to a church 
uh, and they've got some people, uh, uh, husbands and wives. Um, so this is to a husband who's become a believer, but his wife's not. To a wife who's become a believer, but the husband's not. What happens to, to their spouses, how they're supposed to live, and then what happens to their children. So he says, to the rest of you I say this. But then he makes this, this quick statement. I say this, not the Lord. So in other words, I know this uh, as, as your teacher. I know this as your leader. I know this is true, but God's not telling me this right now. But I know this is true. This is the way it's supposed to be. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer, and she is willing to live with him once he becomes a believer, he must not divorce her. And then he flips it over. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. And then here's the mystery. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. And then look at this part right here. Otherwise, if this wasn't true, if this hadn't happened, otherwise your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. It's the principle or the mystery of the first fruit. When the first thing, so if a, a husband becomes a believer, but his wife is not and his children are not, here's what this is saying right here. Because you've chosen to follow God, everything that comes behind you is holy. I know some, I, I, that's hard to understand because we think to ourselves, well, unless those children make a decision for Jesus or that spouse, that unbelieving spouse makes a decision for Jesus, they're lost. But somehow this is teaching us that God must have some way of provision where if the first part, that person gives themselves to the Lord, everything that comes behind them, that spouse then becomes uh, sanctified. The children then become sanctified. Listen, for some of you whose, whose spouses or children or grandchildren aren't serving the Lord, what a powerful scripture this is to hold on to. But I, I get that it's, 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 a, it's a mystery. I don't fully understand it because we do know I, I, we make a choice to follow Christ. We make a choice to give our life to him. But this tells us that when we do it, everything that comes behind us, a spouse or children or grandchildren, are sanctified or holy. I just think that's a powerful thought, the mystery of first fruits, man. Learning to walk by the principle of first fruits, to give to God the first part so that everything, this, the, the whole idea of giving your money, some people think that, that uh, the church is just, they, they just need your, man, there's a principle. When you give the first part to God, you're blessed. Everything behind it is blessed. It's just a powerful thought. Let me give you the third one. Uh, all Israel, this is actually my favorite part. All Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. I want to read that scripture to you one more time from Romans. So just look at this. Let's pull it back to the beginning. We'll get it. There we go. Okay. Again, I ask, did they stumble uh, so uh, as to fall beyond recovery? So he's asking the question, are they, are they beyond redemption? Not at all. He answers his own question. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. All right, look at this next part. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? Just stop right there and hear that part. The greatest thing that God's going to do with this nation is to bring them back into the church universal, man. The church today is not the replacement for the nation of Israel. It's only a part of God's plan. Israel together will form the church. And what will that day look like? Here's what he's saying. We get the blessing of salvation now, but the fullness of all that God has for us, the power of God, the miraculous, all the promises and the gifts, 
come with Israel being included in it. Man, if we ever got the understanding of that, we wouldn't just stand idly by like, who cares? You know who's supposed to care? You. You're the beneficiary of God's plan and purpose. So if this is God's plan and we benefit from it, what can we do then to bless what's in God's heart? If this is God's heart, what can we do to bless what's in God's heart? So I got four things I'll give you real quick. The first one is you could pray. The Bible tells us to pray for our leaders, to pray for people, to pray for the world, and to specifically pray for Israel. In particular, it says pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the inhabitants of the city. It tells us over and over to pray. Man, if the church isn't praying for Israel, who is? This is a great opportunity for us to be, man, when we're praying for them, we're praying for us. We're praying for God's fullness and his plan. We can pray. The second thing is, you can go to Israel. Every year I take a trip. If it's in your heart to go, man, lay it before the Lord and ask him. Give me the opportunity. You'll be surprised even if you look at it and say, we could never afford that or we can't get the time off or I don't know how we'd ever do it with our kids or where we're at in life. That's not the point. You stop yourself before you start. Ask the Lord. Make it possible. If it's in your heart, the Bible says that God wants to fulfill the purposes that are in your heart. We got a young adults trip that in 2018 will be the first missions trip This will be our 20th anniversary in 2018, listen to this, and our first missions trip, not tourist trip, not, um, not, uh, uh, you know, go and and check it out or, or go and see the places of the Bible. Our first mission trip that we've done as a church will happen on our 20th anniversary year. That's a first fruit right there. What could happen in our church after that trip? If you're a young adult or a person who wants to go and help, Man, see our missions department. Check it out online. You should go on that trip. But regardless, if it's in your heart, you should make the effort at some point in your life to go. There's nothing to ever substitute going to Israel. The third thing that you could do, educate yourself. Man, check out and see if what I'm saying is true. That whole scripture on the first fruit and how everything behind it is sanctified and holy, that should intrigue you, especially if you have a spouse, children, or grandchildren who don't serve God, but you love God. Look at what God is saying he will do for you. Educate yourself on this nation. Educate yourself on what's going on. Don't just buy into pop culture. Find out what God says about it. Educate yourself and then speak up. Speak up for that nation. Speak up for those people. Speak up for what God wants to do. And finally, this is the one that we would um, encourage you to do this weekend. I talked about it last weekend. You have a chance to give to the nation. We'll be traveling over there in this coming next week. And part of our journey there is that we will visit a church towards the end of our trip in the city of Jerusalem, the holy city, the city that Jesus walked the streets of the city that Jesus was crucified in, and the city that he was resurrected in. That city that the Bible says when Jesus returns, he will return to that city, and he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. That city right there, we have found an awesome church called King of Kings. It's a life-giving church right in the middle of a place that is so unbelieving of the things of Jesus. It's a first fruit is what it is. It's a new relationship that we've just formed in the last year and a half. And I want to take an opportunity to try to bless this church, to give them something without any thought of them doing anything for us, but knowing that as we give to the things that bless God's heart, man, what a blessing we'll receive. And so I want you to pray 
And ask yourself, and I hope you're prepared this weekend, to do something about giving to the nation of Israel. That's our main focus this year is the church, but there's other ministries there that we want to bless and other things there that we want to be able to say yes to. So I want you to ask, what would God have you do that might be above and beyond your regular giving to the nation? Don't take your tithe because that's the first part that belongs to God. But this is a chance to do something for the first time so that everything that follows behind it, man, is blessed and it's holy. What would God have you do with that? Whatever you give this weekend or in the coming weekends towards the nation, we will distribute to that nation because we believe that's the heart of God, at least in part for what our church is doing. We want to be a blessing to that nation. I'll bless those that bless you. I'll curse those that curse you. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Man, I want to participate in that. That's just as simple as it is. I want to participate in that. So this weekend, the opportunity for you to give is there. You can do it online. You can do it through the app. You can do it in person at the campuses. You can do it in the few coming weeks if you need some time to pray about it or you need to get your finances in order to do it. But bless this nation with us. Watch what God will do in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to, um, to talk about things, God, that I know are in particular things that are important uh, to you. Things that you, um, God, people are the most important. But the nation of Israel got a first fruit. The way that you brought salvation. Jesus came through Israel. The promise. The chosen people. We get a chance to participate in that. And God, as we learn about these things, I don't want us just to be smarter. I want us to get the revelation of where your heart is at for this nation and for this people and how we can participate. God, I feel like my words... Um, are so, God, they're so insignificant to be able to truly communicate your heart on this issue. But God, through the Holy Spirit right now, you can make it so plain and so clear. Help us get this. Put in our heart what you want us to do. Of the four things, what can we do? And in particular, what can we give? God, thank you for our church, Lord, that loves Israel and for the blessing that'll come after this. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you.